Uh, welcome to Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over a nice cold beer. Uh, for the next few episodes, we're going to be taking a leisurely stroll through the large catechism. Last time we went through, I think, uh, paragraph 19. Now, we probably say this in a couple of times, but uh, if you if you download a copy of the large catechism, uh, you'll see that that it's numbered the 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 paragraphs, and actually some of the paragraphs are broken up into several numbers, and uh, and you can sort of follow along with what we're doing. I'm looking forward to today's conversation because we're going to finish the long preface. It's the third episode in the large catechism. And when you originally proposed this read through the large catechism, you thought the preface would be one episode. I did. I did. I, I thought I didn't anticipate we'd be spending three episodes on the uh, on, on before we even got through the large preface. But of the but large here we catechism are, of the large <laughs> catechism, the long preface of the large catechism. Well, so last time we talked a little bit about uh, paragraph 19, and, and one of the things that we didn't mention in that discussion is there's a weird sort of comment in there. If you're, if you're reading along, it has something in there that says along the lines of imagination and cloth unshrunk fall far short of the measure. So I, I went online, I Googled that to try and figure what is, is that like some old German saying or something that... You know, I, I just it didn't really connect with me exactly what he was getting at, and uh, what I found was a bunch of pastors just quoting it, but not saying what it meant. So they they would like talk about you know, they said they'd have this quote on their on their splash page or something, and I, but I was still lost. Um, all I could think of, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Evan, but not, all I could think of is that it's it's trying to point out a, a, a common problem that we, we tend to use, well, we always use when we have a problem in front of us, we use our imagination to come up with, with a solution. Um, but uh, with the cloth unshrunk, I, I'm assuming is, is like if, uh, if it's not with experience. So an unshrunk cloth hasn't gone through anything, it's, and so it, it gets washed, it shrinks, and if it's tied to anything, it might tear, it might not fit. Uh, so I think what Luther is getting at there is that if you have if you have a complex problem and you're addressing it without experience, uh, you, you you come up with a, a, a terrible answer. Uh, Kevin Williamson over at the National Review, uh, uh, if you look up Ke- Williamson's first law. Uh, he says something along the lines of everything is simple when you don't know anything about it. And it, it seems like that's getting at the same thing. It's uh, Luther uh, Williamson's first law is a little more profane, but uh, that's that's basically what that's what he's getting at is every, everything is simple when you don't know anything about it. So I, I think Luther is trying to say the same thing. Um, and so he's saying that uh, when, a, when a pastor needs to take on a uh, the, the pastor needs to take on a defensive position by guarding against the de- temptation by uh, being secure in how much he knows. Um, and then the, needs to do actively study and teaching and uh, all on the catechism. So the, there's this, this 
this mixing of learning with experience that I think Luther's getting at. I, I, I don't know. That's what I took away from it. I, um, I'm making this up as I go along because I honestly couldn't find anything. <laughs> online explaining this saying. So Well, the line that comes right before this idiom of imagination and cloth unshrunk fall, for, fall short of the measure, the line is about these pastors and preachers, not to be doctors too soon, imagine that they know everything. And his concern, I think, is that they don't need to read the scriptures further because they imagine the rest of the sentence. So if you talk with your wife and you answer her before you finish, before she finishes her sentence, because you've imagined what the rest of the sentence will be, and you then you start talking, not having heard the rest of the sentence, sometimes you'll get it right. But oftentimes, even if you get it right, you've annoyed her a great deal. And I think in our relationship with God, when we don't stay in a conversation with him and read his scriptures and study the the chief parts of the Christian faith, uh, we're living life like we assume what the rest of the sentence is going to be. And so then we go off and do our thing. And then we find out God actually had more to say. And what he had to say was deeper and more helpful than what we could ever have imagined. But we abandoned what he was saying too soon because we imagined ourselves how it was going to end. And it becomes like a cloth unshrunk as soon as it's put through some experience, as you said, whatever it's tied to, it it tears apart from. So that, that's I, like we already talked. That, thank you. That was actually really helpful to me um, that we already talked about uh, paragraph 19 a little bit in the last episode. Let's dive into paragraph 20, which is the final paragraph of the long preface. Um, and again, he Luther is making the point uh, that we will know when we have really begun to learn the catechism, when we have to admit that the more we study it, the more we realize how little we know. At least, you know, that's that seems to be, uh, that was my takeaway from that. And that's sort of his, he wraps up the large, the, the, the long preface that way. Uh, do you have any more comments on that on that final paragraph there? I like the imagery of as hungry and thirsty ones will they truly relish that which now they cannot endure because of great abundance and satiety. That idea of being hungry and thirsty for God's word and that uh, maybe right now we don't even know that we can endure what the word has to share with us. That the, the cross it places upon us is too much for us to carry. And, and so we, we would maybe pull back from it. But he says, be hungry and thirsty once, and you will learn how to relish it. I like that imagery of being hungry and thirsty for the word. So that finishes the long preface. Now, this short preface was originally uh, based on a sermon that he preached uh, May 18th and 1528. So May 18th and 1528, uh, Luther preached a a preface of a sort, I suppose. That's what he later called it, but it was his sermon. And it was designed and undertaken uh, to explain why the children and the simple-minded should receive instruction. And here he calls this instruction catechism. And we've talked earlier about this, but that word catechism, it comes from a verb uh, to mean to sound again, hence uh, to instruct. And so the idea is that I instruct you by sounding again in our presence what God's word says, and you sound it again back to me. There's a, 
even in catechism, catechism, there's the kata and then the echo. And, and the, the chasm of catechism is the echo part of it. And the, the kata is according to. So you're echoing according to what you've already heard. And so he's in the short preface explaining that he is, uh, has these sermons on the five chief parts. Um, and you'll notice the small catechism, uh, we often talk about ha- of having six chief parts. The large catechism is written around five chief parts. Which one's missing? Uh, the section confession, the absolution. And so let's look at the first three paragraphs. I'm just going to read them for us. It says, this sermon is designed and undertaken that it might be an instruction for children and the simple-minded. Hence of old, it was called in Greek catechism, instruction for children. What every Christian must need to know so that he who does not know this could not be numbered with the Christians nor be admitted to any sacrament. Just as a mechanic who does not understand the rules and customs of his trade is expelled and considered incapable. Therefore, we must have the young learn the parts which belong to the catechism or instruction for children well and fluently and diligently exercise themselves in them and keep them occupied with them. So one of the things that jumped out at me as I was going through this was that he talks, I mean, this is the, this is a little different than the large catechism. We've talked about this before. It seems like the large catechism, uh, I mean, the, I'm sorry, the, the long preface, this is a little bit different than the long preface. The short preface at least starts out, and I think it pretty much carries on this way, um, really focusing on every Christian. It, it's it ta- He talks a lot about the children. He talks about the simple-minded. He And he's not really addressing the the learned the quote unquote learned uh you're not getting that that um hammering on gee you really need to spend time in this don't think you're going past it now he seems to be more encouraging to the common folks that hey you know you can tackle this this is not too much for you you know and and as a matter of fact there's this is this is something that you should, again, go over. It says the same thing there. You know, you need to always go over it. You need to learn it through and through. But um, it's it's trying to be more encouraging than, than it was in the long preface. It gives the perspective that the large catechism has a, a global nature for the family rather than words that are spoken to the father and then the father speaks them to the family. He really has in perspective the whole family hearing these words. I find it surprising. Um, In paragraph two, he says, this is the stuff that every Christian needs to know. And the one who does not know these things uh, could possibly not be numbered with the Christians nor admitted to the sacrament. There's a, there's a concern in here uh, that he has that the, the foundations of our Christian faith are rooted on actual uh, experiences of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And those who don't, don't know what Christ has done, um, they make it hard to claim that they're Christians. Right, right. What, what, what about? I mean, do you have any thoughts on um, what was it? That's where. Therefore, we must have the young learn the parts which belong to the catechism or instruction for children, well and fluently, and dig- diligently exercise themselves in them and keep them occupied with them. I'm trying to see where. Oh, maybe it's the next paragraph. It is. Uh, therefore, it is the duty of every father of a family to question and examine his children and servants at least once a week 
and to ascertain what they know of it or are learning, and if they do not know it, to keep them faithfully at it. That's that sort of harkens back to a different a different era than a than patriarchy. Today. Yeah, uh, the paterfamilias kind of idea of a, maybe even a Roman household where the the head of the household is indeed the head not just of his own family but all that are in his care and responsibility in his household. Um, I think that perspective of a household is probably not something we have too easily when we usually just have in one house, one generation of a family. But in that time of a multi-generational house uh, with uh, servants and, and people there to maybe in uh, workers like on a farm or something like that, uh, that picture of a household, I think, is very big for Luther as he's describing this. And the responsibility of a father to question and examine his children. Uh, the encouragement at the backside of the examination is keep them faithfully at it. It's not that, you know, if they've failed their exam, then they don't eat for a week or something like that. It's just now you know where they're at. Now you know what you need to do in the next week. Yeah, I think... I think that there there is a certain, uh, although Luther is speaking into a specific time and 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 place uh, here in, in a, a family structure that doesn't exist so much anymore, at least not in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I think there is a timelessness to what's being said here, which is what you mentioned the the um, just sort of being aware of where where the members of the family are. It's the responsibility, uh, and I would say not just of the father, but the parents mm-hmm. to, to go through and be aware of where your kids are and where, you know, where you are actually, and, and where everybody, I mean, I think we hold each other accountable as Christians. Yeah. You know, Can you um, imagine what this will do to strengthen the, the faith of the father as well? If every week he's talking uh, with different members of his household, these intense spiritual conversations um, I know that myself, I learned the creed best when I was teaching it. Um, and I, I learned how to talk to people about the Lord's Prayer when I was hearing them learn it and and uh, share with me what they were thinking about it. I, I think fathers would really find their spiritual lives in uh, incredibly strengthened by regularly having these kind of conversations. I, I think so. And I, I think this is probably an area where uh, you know, a typical family, uh, it's, it's gets squeezed out. It, 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 you know, we're all very busy. This is the kind of thing that, that gets squeezed out all the, you know, the homework and the other responsibilities and the, 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 the sports. And it's easy to sort of get yourself on a treadmill and, uh, and, and to lose sight of the things like our spiritual development where there is no test. Oh, uh, there is nothing. There is there is no weekly test that you're building to. Like you know, when when you have a, a baseball game, you're 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 building to, or a or a hockey game, or something. There's a goal that you're working toward. Every the whole you know, you and your son or daughter might be working toward that and getting there, or a test at school that you're working to get get to. Spiritual development doesn't work that way. It's it's this ongoing growth that's more organic that never quite ends. And so it's 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 easy to get pushed out by those things that are more concrete goals. And, and he's uh, not asking for conversations on minutia of scripture in parts that you've never looked up. He's just asking for a conversation about the Ten Commandments, the right. Lord's Prayer, and the Creed. And then he says that uh, then to go on and discuss the bapt- uh, 
to go on and discuss baptism and the Lord's Supper. But then he adds in paragraph six, for the common people, we are satisfied if they just would focus on the three parts which have remained in Christendom from of old, though little of it has been taught and treated correctly until both young and old who are called and wish to be Christians are well trained in them and familiar with them. And then he goes on and quotes what these um, these five chief parts are. So the the first part, the, the, he has the first three parts, like you mentioned, the first three parts, which are absolutely critical. Um, and uh, well, actually, you know, let's let's dive into the the well. The first three parts are the first the Ten Commandments, uh, the Articles of the Faith, which is the Apostles' Creed, and then the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll be diving into that a little bit. Uh, we'll we'll after a, how about a beer break? I think a beer break's a great idea. Today we have, uh, from Black Rocks Brewing uh, in Marquette, Michigan, Grand Rabbits. It's a dry hopped cream ale, and it is, on the can, it says, uh, made with pure Lake Superior H2O. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with Michigan, Marquette is quite a far away, uh, quite a distance from where we are. Yeah, so we're in the Detroit area. Um, my son actually went to Josh. Josh went to school up uh, not too far from Marquette, up in Houghton, and that's an eight-hour drive, an eight or nine-hour drive to get up there. Marquette might be an hour or two closer, but it is still a long way away. Uh, so uh that's a couple of guys started by a couple of guys who um, got laid off uh, and with the downturn in 2010 they decided that they would look at that problem make an opportunity of it and and start up a brewery and so they started up black rock black rock brewery up in marquette started with as a nano brewery uh just uh one uh about as small as you can go the, the the one bbl uh, which uh, I I think it, I always considered it to be like um, uh, you know one barrel, but I think it's actually more than that, right, Evan? It was, you look. I looked up, up nano brewery, and the one BBL system can produce like three barrels or something like that. But either way, it's a small amount. It started as the nano brewery. Uh, they weren't sure how it was going to be received, but Dave and Andy found out that there was incredible interest in that uh, idea of good beer and Marquette. And they hired some awesome people. They, they, get, they still brew on their one BBL system that they started with. They then added a three BBL pub system and then a 20 BBL production system. So the, if you go to the website, and uh, there's not a whole lot about these guys online. You know, I, I went, I, I spent a little bit of time going through whatever's available online, trying to find stuff on on these different breweries and different beers that we got and there's these guys don't have a whole lot on them but uh, what they do have uh, is when you go to the website they have uh, just a little thing that that says basically what we just said uh, and then they have pictures of themselves all the people who work there and and there's a little write-up underneath each picture and there's uh, some of those are pickable and if you Click on them. Uh, that'll be something that that person, I'm assuming, uh, wanted to share. Additional something that that person wanted to share, and it's some of our sort of fun, you know. Uh, so I encourage encourage our listeners to go check it out a lot. I, I had fun going through those going through those videos. Uh, Wait, this why is don't you the, tell us about the one video that you saw that really just <laughs> fit with your sense of humor. Well, actually, the, there were there were two I really appreciate. Well, the two co-founders both had really cool ones. Um, 
the uh, the one was he uh, he did a dance comp or dance. Uh, him and his wife did a dance for uh, cancer cancer research center or something. It was something with cancer, and uh, that, that was really impressive. The it was a it was a prof- It looked you know like Dancing with the Stars type level of quality, and they and people were cheering, and it was it was a lot of fun to to watch what they could do um, as a as a fundraiser. And then the other co-founder did this uh, this thing where he he just sat and drank a beer on you know it was like a five minute video of him drinking a beer, and he's just sitting on a couch drinking a beer and saying you know I, I can't believe you're you're still sitting here watching me. Um, I I I just I thought that was hilarious, <laughs> so I enjoyed it. Um, I, uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I like these guys. I, I, I really like this beer and this was actually, we have a, we have a whole bunch of beers, uh, sort of in the queue and, uh, I wanted to drink this beer tonight. Uh, this was, this one was really, uh, uh, it's a dry hopped cream ale, the, the grand rabbit, uh, cream ale. And it's, it's not your typical cream ale. It's got a little bit, um, a little bit sharper taste, a little hoppier, but uh, it's it's still a very light, crisp taste. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm I'm this has become one of my my more favored beers lately as we're moving into summer. So um, I, I I bought a six pack of it and I've been enjoying it for a. a about a month now, you know, I, I don't drink a whole, uh, it sounds like I drink a lot, but I actually don't. I just drink one every so often and I'm, I'm really enjoying this one. On the bottom of the can, it says release the rabbits. And when you open the can up, it sounds like the rabbits are going for it. They're making a <laughs> run for it. All right, here we are. We're going back now to the catechism and we are going to read uh, the the chief parts that he has on here. And it's interesting to note that he changes his, his translations that he uses, both for the Ten, Ten Commandments, the Creed, um, and the Lord's Prayer in different parts of the small catechism and even later in different parts of the large catechism. And we'll talk about that when we look at how he translates the chief article of our faith, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Ten Commandments, he had a choice of how to translate, um, how to number them. He numbers them uh, one through ten, Ten Commandments. That's not the shocking part, but how to reference the graven images. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli and the Reformed at this time are starting to make that one of the numbers and then combine the covet into two separate ones. And the way the different numbering system comes up is that Luther follows the pattern of the Vulgate the Latin translation of Jerome, the Vulgate, and Ulrich Zwingli and the Reformed were following the pattern of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and that makes some sense in this time period because of humanism. There's more Adventists, go back to the sources, back to the sources. So the Reformed are thinking that they are reforming the church uh, back to the beginning of the early church. And so they're going to number it according to the Hebrew Bible. I, I don't know if Luther put a lot of thought of writing about why he stuck with the Vulgate, but he did say later that he believed the description of the graven images was a subset of the first commandment and not to be its own commandment. So the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not take the norm, name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Thou shalt sanctify the holy day, 
Um, sometimes it's translated uh, the, the day of rest, but uh, he uses the German word for the day of celebration. Thou shalt sanctify the day of celebration, taking a, uh, that Christian resurrection day of celebration focus he has in the Friar Tag. Uh, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, that thou mayest live long upon the earth. Uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, the, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his cattle ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his. We're using the thou's just because that's the copy of the large catechism that you and I are shared and, and have put on our website for us, uh, for people to download. And But as you look at these... Things in translation that I just thought were noteworthy is that comment on the third commandment, thou shalt sanctify the day of celebration, that that German word Freiertag that he uses rather than the Sabbath. And, you know, I suppose every translator has a, a moment of choice that they have to make. And I, I like that notion that Luther brings to that third commandment, that uh, the day of Rest is a day of celebration because we're celebrating what God has done for us. Yeah, uh, that, I did not know that. I, I didn't know that that was a, a choice that he made. I, I also like that because this is, um, we were talking about that at, at church. We talked about uh, the the seven days of creation, the seventh day God rested. And then, you know, if you think of the uh, the, 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 the Christian, you know, Sunday is the eighth day. You know, it's the it's the day of recreation. It's the it's the day of and so and it's a day of celebration because it is the day of recreation. We're we're no longer looking at a day of rest. We're now looking at a day of celebration. And so I, I, I like that. I like that he he made that choice. That's that that's uh that's that, that again something I didn't know. So um Then we have the on. Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say let's go on to the Apostles' Creed. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'm starting there. It's, I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day rose again. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the father almighty from thence, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The quick and the dead, that's that's not a saying we we have so much anymore. We do uh, not. But I, no. I hear that word of the quick and the dead. I, somehow my image is immediately of an old Western, and the guy who's quick on the draw makes the other guy dead. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah the quick and the dead. I I I, I it certainly is more descriptive than I, what do we have today? I, I you know it's funny my mind is is caught in the the quick and the dead. I know it's just um, as you were reading it, there were a couple times where you started to say what you know by memory rather than what was on that uh, that page in front of you. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I had to stop and actually look at what was. It's come to judge living and the dead. There we go. That's what we have. Uh, two translation notes here that he makes. One is, um, in the, they're both related to the third article. One when he says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church. That phrase, the Holy Christian Church, um, 
This is a decision moment for Lutherans of how we translate the creed. In the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, they still use a translation of the creed that uses the Holy Christian Church. Um, often in hymnals, they'll have an, sometimes an asterisk or something. They'll say that, or Holy Catholic Church, just so people know you're not a bad guy if you say Holy Catholic. Why did Luther choose Holy Christian Church? It was not at this time because he was trying to avoid the word Catholic. Um, it was common in 15th century German ecclesiastical use to translate uh, the Latin Ecclesial Catholic uh, by using the phrase Christlich Kirka. Um, and he was just following the customary wording for the Apostles' Creed that was used in Germany during uh, the 1400s up into the 1500s in his area of Germany. The Apostles' Creed was one of those things that was translated from Latin to German, and so there were established customs as he was placing this text into his German uh, Lutheran catechism. So he wasn't making some great political statement about trying to avoid the word Catholic. He was just using the translation of the creed that was normal around him. The other point of translation on here is just how he uses the communion of saints. Uh, and then later in the large catechism, when he writes specifically about this part of the catechism, he uses the phrase, the community of saints. And I think it's interesting that he feels quite comfortable going both between the communion of saints, which is kind of more of a focus of maybe this hidden, invisible uh, thing that happens in union between the holy ones of God that isn't recognizable in the world, and yet it's invisible, hidden, but it's still there, communion of saints. But later in the large catechism, he'll use the phrase, the community of saints. And he's comfortable interchangeably using this, because I think he does have confidence that though the church is those who believe, which we, you know, we can't see into people's hearts, it does yet shape us into a community. You know, that is one of the things that, um, as a uh, as a lay person, I guess uh, as I've studied more theology going for, you know over the over the years, uh, this concept of the invisible church, um, which is more captured by the communion of saints, uh, the the idea of the the invisible church that you can't you you know mankind can't put barriers around who God has chosen. You know, we can't say, oh, you know, those who believe what we believe are, you know, this is, this is the, the, the or the people who go to my specific church is the com community that those aren't two. They're not the same thing that we can have a church community, but the communion of saints can be bigger. Uh, you know, not, it's, it's, it is certainly bigger than our community of, uh, you know, our community of saints, but it's, you know, like you said, there's no way of knowing the 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 heart of man, and so it's it's this that those mean two different things. But it's interesting, like you said, that Luther is is comfortable going back and forth. He's not going because both are true, right? Mm -hmm. uh, both both are absolutely true, um, uh, and one one just happens to be uh, more. Um, uh, well, I guess it depends on 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 what the context is. You know, we are in a community community of saints. We are in a community of church. There's, these are people that we know. This is, and we have confidence that God is at work in every one and uh, every one of them. And so we have we have that 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 concept that that idea that's out there. 
And then there's the communion of saints, which is, again, that invisible church that goes beyond all those boundaries. So, um, well, let's go. Let's oh, go on. Well, I was just going to do the same as you. I was going to say, let's go on to the the third part that he identifies is the prayer or our father, which Christ taught. Um, so he calls it first the prayer and then he'll call it or our father. And he goes, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then in brackets in the translation is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And that's in brackets just because that was a phrase that wasn't included in Luther's time. Oh, really? It was added um, a little bit later on to the catechism. Um, and so it was normal for Luther, as he would teach the catechism, to just finish, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Yeah, when I was a kid, growing up Catholic, we never said, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And it was sort of funny when um, Pope John Paul came to the U.S., I remember he was saying the Lord's Prayer, crowd of million, or whatever it was, and everybody's praying along with him. He's saying the Lord's Prayer, and and then he, everybody stopped, and he just kept going. For thine is the kingdom. <laughs> it was like, as you know, again, I, I grew up with that. We never used to say that, and you know, I I, I knew the feeling of because I, when I first started going to Lutheran churches, it was like, what, 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 what do you guys? What is this? This isn't this isn't part of the Lord's. This isn't in the Bible. This is something. What what what? And uh, so there was that that sort of moment, that group moment of a million people all go, being confused by the Pope back in the nineteen uh, eighties or something. In the Lutheran service book, the uh, well, it was earlier in Lutheran hymnals as well. Uh, the setting for the divine service would have the pastor chant the Lord's prayer. And then the whole congregation would join in in four-part harmony for that concluding section of For Thine is a Kingdom and the Power and the Glory Forever and Ever. Amen. Um, I've never chanted the Lord's Prayer in that way, but I, I could imagine this would be this interesting moment for the whole congregation to join in in this chorale of glory. Uh, so we read the Lord's Prayer and then... At the end of the Lord's Prayer, he has a comment that just says, these are the necessary parts. The first things that people should be able to learn to repeat word for word. Uh, our ch- children should be accustomed to recite them daily when they arise in the morning, when they sit down for the meals, and when they retreat for the night until they repeat them. Um, and they should be given neither. Or this is what he says. And when they retire at night, they should uh, be able to repeat it until they know it. Otherwise, they should be given neither food nor drink. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> and then different, uh, different era, different era, different era, different kind of parenting. Uh, then in paragraph 19, he makes a point about how uh, he's not going to spend time trying to figure out holy fathers or apostles and how they've written different parts. He says, let's just trust this to be a summary of the doctrine, life, wisdom, and art of Christians of which they speak and treat and of which they are occupied. Uh, you found that phrase, the art of Christians, to be noteworthy. About the art of, of being a Christian. And, and I actually, you know, I, I can't tell you, I, every year 
I go through the the large catechism. I read through the large catechism. This is just something, and I, I do it slowly. I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, I try and take my time and and think about what's 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 there. And uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've blown right past that 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 art of a art of Christians. And I, you know, as I thought about it this time, going through the 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 large catechism a little bit more leisurely, like any art. Are, you know, nobody becomes an artist overnight. You know, you, you really have to work at something, and 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 you will be terrible at it for, for a while. And and you know, it's I, I like this this concept of the art of the Christian life that uh, where it's it, it I think it, it it captures the patience we need to give each other and, and ourselves as we're as we're going through this. There's not an expectation that a young child is going to paint a Rembrandt and, and there, you know, we, we need to be patient with ourselves in that way. So I, I like that. I like that, that term. So then the catechism finishes up. Um, the third part finishes with this phrase. He says, when these three parts are apprehended, it behooves a person also to know what to say concerning our sacraments, which Christ himself instituted baptism in the Holy body and blood of Christ. So he has this sense of progression, know these basics that, there's Ten Commandments, there's a creed, there's a prayer. Know these things. And as you apprehend them, then move towards discussion of the catechism, uh, discussion of baptism and the sacrament. I think that's about where we're going to finish for today. Uh, next time we record, we'll talk about how he describes baptism and the sacrament in his preface. And then we'll probably be able to get into uh, his focus on the first commandment, the largest section um, that he has inside the catechism. I guess that does it. I want to say thanks to uh, to to everybody who's helped us out. Be seeing uh, seeing everybody next time. So, prost. <laughs>